you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to today's episode. So we have a very exciting guest. Gaia Bernstein is a renowned professor on issues at the intersections of law, technology, privacy, and health, and author of the upcoming book, Unwired, Gaining Control Over Addictive Technologies, which comes out March 31st of this year. Is that correct? March 28th. Oh, okay. March 28th of this year. Okay. So I I wanted to read a couple of little excerpts that I pulled from an article that you wrote and then have you expand on that if that's okay just to kind of dive into it so you so the article started with we spend large parts of our days on screens often more than we intend to screen time has increased steadily for over a decade even before the covid-19 pandemic this is no coincidence Reports leaking from Silicon Valley revealed that tech companies used manipulative designs to extend users time on screens so that, <laughs> so there's that, there's that, because let me just tell you, every single day, every parent I know, what do they struggle with the most, it seems, with their kids? It's all about the screens. I mean, from a very young age, all the way up, it is, it's just this constant, bat, including in my own life, right? Like- so yeah, uh, tell us, tell us how make us feel better about this. What teach us all the things? Why? Why is this such a problem? So I I think the source of this is that technology companies have tried to make us stay online for as long as possible. They have a business model in which we receive everything for free. We get Facebook for free, Instagram, uh, Google, uh, Gmail. But we pay with our data and with our time because they want us to see ads. So the more time we spend online, they collect more information from us. And in return, and then they target ads at us. Again, they want us to stay online for longer so you will see the ads. So they have developed different uh, mechanisms to make sure we stay online for a long time. Some of them are everywhere, like the infinite scroll, you know, when you scroll down uh, Facebook or Twitter, it never ends. There's no stopping queue. That makes you stay on for much longer than you intended. I think one, one which applies especially for kids, 
really illustrates what's going on here. And that's uh, Snapstrix. Snapstrix is part of Snapchat. And basically, kids who are on Snapchat, they have, and they want to be active, they send Snapstrix to their friend. Now, if they send it one every 24 hours and get one back, then they get one point with that friend and they keep getting more and more and more points. However, if they ever do not send a snap streak, then the result is that this is, uh, they lose the streak. Now, on Snapchat, there is this chart which shows all your friends with how many snap streaks you have. 400 or 100 or two. So it's a bit like a popularity contest. Now, there's nothing, you don't have to send any content in this snap streaks. What they want is for you to go back to Snapchat so you'll see the ads. Now, what happens when a parent decides to take the phone away from a kid? That means the kid cannot send the snap streaks that day. And that's a disaster for a kid because they lose all their friends, all the snap streaks. That's why part of the reason we see kids getting very upset. And I'm emphasizing this because there's really nothing here. There's no photograph. There's no content. It's just about luring the kid back to the website. Mm -hmm. And so do you feel like because of the nature of like, this is an example, but because of the, the fact that it, it, Technology, even something that there's not even any content, it's just the dopamine hit that they get, I guess, from having the streak and then what they lose, right? Like what they actually lose. I mean, that it's like, I'm going to have to start over. I, it, it, this, it's this sense of belonging that they have that it taps into all of these basic human instincts and it causes this addictive nature, right? To, to w- tell me, tell me what your thoughts are on that, and yeah, yes, this, what you said is exactly it. The tech companies sort of zeroed in into where we're vulnerable. So, one thing that's very strong for kids is the fear of missing out and being socially accepted and being popular. The other thing is, and that's really a big thing in many many apps, is the the dopamine. That's what's called the intermittent reward model. And basically, we tend to get bigger boosts of the dopamine, which is a pleasure-enhancing neurotransmitter, if we get the reward once in a while, not not on a regular basis. So that's what happens with the slot machine, for example. People pull and pull because once in a while they get coins. So basically a lot of the features in the internet are based on us getting rewards once in a while to get the dopamine, whether you get, you know, likes on Instagram or you get comments or you go on Tinder and you swipe and you might get a mate. So all these things, and, and, uh, and it's countless, basically ever, even an email, even when you check your phone, will I get an email? Will I get notification? Everything is based on that. So, so I think I want to go back to your first question, which is important. So, so basically, you know, parents are fighting with kids and parents really, really want to help. The thing is, and this has been going on at least, I would say, since 2006. 
2017, these, this, this, uh, um, I guess realization that something is going on here and it's hitting all of us. And parents have tried, you know, all kinds of mechanisms at home, you know, to limit screen time using apps. They try to limit, you know, screen time at meals, bedtime. They try if they can to model things. And I think some of these techniques work really well with small kids. But the moment you get to middle school, you have a problem because the kids are much more savvy. You know, you put a password that restricts them. They find out what the password is. They find ways to get to their game. And their whole social life starts revolving around social media or games. And and so it's this and this fight because that the tech companies make sure they want to go back in, whether to send a snap streak or to go back to the game. And the parents are trying to stop this with mechanisms or even education, which are very, very, very hard fight to win. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, I mean, what I've told parents lots of times is I'm like, we're in the wild, wild west, right? Like, the laws have not caught up yet with the fact that there clearly needs to be, I mean, besides what we can do at home, yes, boundaries are important and, and, and all the things that I teach parents. And it's almost like it's, it's stacked up against us to fail because of the nature of the beast combined with when they get to middle school and when they get to high school, right? Like kids developmentally are supposed to be spreading their wings and separating from us. Like that is a normal human stage of development. And right. Right. And so when they're at that stage, now all of a sudden the device is their connection to their, to their new tribe, their friends, their, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And so it, it, no matter how many software spyware things we have on it, they're yeah. going to get around it because we need the tech companies to regulate this stuff. It, it's like we're losing, we're fighting a losing battle, it seems. Right. Absolutely. I think, and also no parent wants to isolate their kid. Right. So basically I, I think, and, and that that's where I think parents are in a very, very difficult situation right now because they want to do well, but they feel powerless to do anything about this. And the, I, and, and they keep blaming themselves. I yeah. ran a outreach program early on and I spoke to parents. Uh, and basically parents just don't know what to do. They blame themselves. They blame their children. My kid is an addict. And while we know already that the blame lies with the tech companies and lots of people know this. But they keep thinking, I need to do something about it. And what I am working on in this book and what I, I, I want to say is basically, yes, something has to be done about this. We cannot neglect a whole generation of children to sit in front of screen. The data that's uh, accumulating is terrifying. And it's been over a decade already. These are abusive technologies. Something has to be done and it can be done. But, but beyond young children, 
it's less likely to work inside the home. There are other ways to do it, and we have to learn from the battles of the past. We look at the battles against tobacco. We look at the battles against food. There are certain things which are happening again and again. I think key children are key for change, and that's really important to know. What do you mean by children are key for change? Say a little bit more about that. So basically, you know, it's not a um, coincidence that parents are blaming themselves because that's what the tech industry wants parents to do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. The whole idea is it's a personal responsibility thing. You're choosing to spend too much Mm -hmm. time online. You, your kid is choosing to spend too much time online. You don't want your kid to choose to spend so much time online. Well, you can try to use these measures we're giving you. But if it's not working out for you, then you are responsible. And this argument that, you know, the consumer is responsible has been used by the tobacco companies. Mm When smokers sued, they said, well, you chose to smoke. When uh, teens uh, sued uh, McDonald's for because they were obese and sick, McDonald's said, nobody forces you to eat here. You chose to come here. So this whole idea of a personal responsibility, personal choice is such an icon mm. in American culture. And it's already used by the tech company. In, in game manufacturers, they are who there's already some um, some action around it, defining it as uh, gaming as an addiction and some lawsuits. And basically, the first thing they come and say, "Well, your child chose to play; the parents permitted them." What I think is very very hopeful is that the vulnerable spot of this personal responsibility argument is children. Mm. If you look at this, you know, if you look at cigarettes, children under now 21 even in many states cannot buy cigarettes. Nobody will prevent adults from buying cigarettes. But children are considered less self-responsible, more you can parent children, you can nanny children. We don't like to parent adults. Same thing with uh, the obesity campaign. So schools are required to weigh children and to send their parents their BMI and to take certain foods out of school meals. You cannot imagine this happening, you know, for adults going to, to work and having your employer weighing you. It doesn't happen. So a lot of measures that uh, target wouldn't work for adults, can work for kids. This whole personal responsibility theme is less strong. And we are already seeing this starting to happen. We are already seeing a movement that is focusing on kids in the area of, of technology overuse. And I think it's important not just for kids, important for the whole movement, but kids are going to be the first step here. Mm-hmm. And so what if I could give you like some magic fairy dust and you could sprinkle it on this problem? Do you have what this, what you think the solution would be? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I wish I could say we had, if we got a Supreme Court, you know, decision, this would solve this or one, but it's not going to be. If you look at the past, the fights against cigarettes, you know, junk food, 
it takes lots of legal measures, but there are certain things that can be done more quickly than others. So, so I, I, I think I'll start where, where I see things already happening. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing loot boxes. It's something that kids uh, know a lot about. Adults don't know a lot about. It's something in games based on the same intermittent reward model. Basically, these surprise boxes in games in which you can get, you know, superpowers or super strengths, but you never know what's inside. So you keep trying until you get the ones you want, your mm-hmm. reward, your dopamine. The thing is, some game companies let uh, they let kids buy this for money and that starts sounding like gambling so this is the low-hanging fruit of the addictive measures there have been many countries in europe which already restricted it some for everybody some just for kids Uh, the federal trade commission in the u.s has been had a workshop on that we are seeing lots of litigation against this and i'm not saying things in the U.S. have not moved so far, but the moment you get litigation, it's not just a successful litigation. It's the cost for the companies. It's the mm-hmm. reputation. So that's something we're already seeing happening, which I think is important. I think, for me, I think for what parents can do, and that's probably the most imp- important thing that any parent can do, because I know parents want to do something, is schools. Because the whole U.S. education policy is based on one idea. The more technology, the better. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a movement towards including more and more technology into the classroom. The reason it has not happened before the pandemic was teachers were used to teaching in certain ways, but schools get money based on how much technology they can incorporate. So... What's interesting here is that that's an area where you can see schools already reacting on an individual basis. So, for example, in France, French said no cell phones in school. In the U.S., what you see is individual schools saying no cell phones or certain districts saying no cell phones. Now, cell phones is just one part of the problem, having kids, you know, sitting in the going to being in recess and with our cell phones. But there's much more here. And I think that's what's really, really crucial because how much do schools incorporate screens into the curriculum? Does your child sit with a screen at school? Do they get homework to do on their computer? Mm-hmm. This starts increasing screen time. Do they once now, what kind of activities since the pandemic, teachers became very adept in using social media and games to teach children. The villains of the tech world are now have, now have education departments. Now, this is an area where parents have much more of an, an influence because how can you tell your child not to spend hours on Minecraft if Minecraft is homework? Mm-hmm. It legitimized the whole thing. What happens in school filtrates into the home. Mm-hmm. In a way, what parents would like would would want to do is to delay the age where mm-hmm. kids start going on social networks. But what if the teacher is now posting the lessons on TikTok? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think changing the way 
your child's schools operate, the district operates, could be done much more f- effectively and fast and could have a huge impact on what happens at home? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, look, I can even say my kids went to, I still have one there at, to a private high school, very progressive. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my kids are good students, but I know when they're bored in class, they're watching shows on their computer. And right. I mean, they're watching shows on, and I'm like, how does the, how come the school can't have firewalls up? But it's like, well, we might have to Google something. Sometimes we look up videos on YouTube in class. And so how, and I'm like, I don't understand how come you guys can access Netflix and Hulu. I mean, they literally watch their shows. On I feel exactly the same way. I teach, I'm a law professor. I mm-hmm. never understood why my students should have access to the internet when I'm trying to teach. But then I absolutely agree with you. And there, there are certain issues about blocking signals. But why in the first place? And some, many schools don't do that still, even today. Why are they sitting with their computers in class? They do not need to have their computer for every assignment. That stops the problem before you get to trying to block signals? Well, I think, you know, in they're like when they get to college and when they go into the real world, they're, you know, there's so many arguments. But I mean, yeah. arguments could be made. It's just like parents who allow their kids to drink and smoke pot at the house. They're like, well, at least I know they're safe. They're going to do it anyway. And it's like, really? Are, so I, it's almost like I feel like the technology companies and the schools there. I mean, these technology companies are so savvy. It's like if, if they worked in collaboration with the schools so that there was, you know, there were some more, there were some ground rules. It just feels like, like we could get more of a handle on it if we had the big players working together. Right. The problem is the big players don't want to do that because their entire business model is based. Well, they on- don't want to until laws, until there's laws that come out that force them to, because I mean, isn't it interesting? Right. I'm sure you've read that study about all the Silicon Valley bigwigs not allowing their kids to have. Of course. Right. <laughs> not, not allowing their kids to have phones until they're like, you know, going to college or whatever. They don't let them do any gaming. So they're very, selective about what their own children because they know how addictive it is but they don't care about our children right absolutely so i I, and i think there's several things happening here one thing is that you want to push the yes you're absolutely right the end you know they'll go on their own they'll do whatever they want but if you look at the studies and the impact on kids it's much stronger than the impact on adults the, Im- the studies on the impact on mental health, the impact on cognitive development, the impact on attention. In the studies, it's not just the impact on very small children. It's even all the way to age 18. So in a way, trying to delay this by a few years is doing something. And of course, I'm the first person who thinks that there should be laws. And I think eventually there would be laws. And there are many other things that are in the works we didn't talk about yet. I just think that parents are operating in this zone now in which the laws are not there yet. 
the struggle is still going on. So what can they do in their own world to, to decrease how much time the kids spend on screen? Andy Rubenstein, and this is the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where I share tips on how to solve any parenting problem. If you're in an absolute parenting shitstorm right now, I gotcha. Do this now. Go to our website at mastermindparenting.com and click on the live assessment button where you can schedule a live call to discuss your issue. My team is going to point you in the right direction, match you up with the best resource because we've been where you are and know that you want the tools that work ASAP. Don't worry, we got you. You can also go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash live dash assessment. That's live dash assessment. Get on our calendar right away. You will hook up with a live person to begin helping you immediately. I think I wanted to focus at the beginning on, I agree with you. Look, I teach parents how to, what I call it pack leadership, how to be pack leaders in their mm-hmm. household. And I think that a lot of the, I mean, my, my older kids, 21 and 24, literally two weeks ago, I was out to dinner with them. My daughter was home from college and they said we were, we were having this lovely dinner out and their younger brother, who's 16, he's still, he's in the, I call it the talk to the hand stage. Like yeah. whenever I say, he's like, mom, just stop. <laughs> So, um, but the older ones, they, they kind of like me again. And so we can have these kind of open and they don't have anything to hide. They're young adults. And we were, we were sitting around the table and we were talking about, I don't know, having your cell phone out at the table because we have some pretty strict rules in our family about no phones at the table. And they both said to me, I couldn't believe it. They were like, I'm glad that you bugged the crap out of us about people before technology, people before technology, put your phone down, put your phone down, no phones at the table. Why is your phone in your pocket? Why? They're like, because now it's on my radar. And, you know, and my son said, sometimes it's a little awkward because you'll be sitting around with your friends at a table and everyone's on their phone. And if you're the only one that's not on your phone, he's like, it's a little awkward but I have to remind myself that it's the right thing to do. And so they admitted that hearing that message over and over and over again has for sure impacted them at this stage of the game because it's on their radar. But what but what I wanted to say is, is I really wanted to, because I know there's been so much blame put on, you know, put on parents. It's kind of, it's like the, the, the right. tobacco company saying, so don't smoke. You chose to smoke. Like you chose to give your kids these devices. Somebody's paying the bills. Somebody's buying these gaming systems. And so all that consumer blame, I think can stall parents out and cause them to feel shame and guilt. And, Absolutely, and then yeah. they, and then they just want to go on their device and numb themselves out because it just all feels like too <laughs> yeah. much. Right. And so I wanted to kind of establish that we're here because there've been some much bigger things at play that we we haven't even necessarily been aware of until all of a sudden it's like we're hooked you know we're all hooked on and so now it's like what do we do about it so i wanted to kind of release a little bit of that shame and blame 
there. Right. And I think basically what happened to us is we're a bit like the frog in the water. You know, I, I think about myself, you know, I was, I, I live in Manhattan. I, I work in New Jersey I was a law professor. I have three kids. I, there was small when I, when I think all of this started around, I would say around 2009 when we started using smartphones and, you know, and Facebook. And I just, I just remember all I decided was, okay, I, I have to text my babysitters on the train. So I'll use the phone for that. And then I thought, okay, then I'll actually, why don't I answer emails before I get to work so I can do other stuff when I get there? And I did that. And then I joined Facebook. So I'll get to know more colleagues in my field. And very, very soon I would be on that train. You could have one of my colleagues, one of my students sitting next to me. I wouldn't even see them. Mm-hmm. So we felt like we were just making small decisions, you know, but the big decision, how we spend our time, how much time we want want to spend on screen. If somebody asked us, you know, 2009, would you want to be spending five hours on your phone and another three hours on your iPad and another five hours on a computer a day? Nobody would say yes to that. Mm -mm. So we lost our autonomy to make this decision for ourselves and for our children. We sort of started waking up, I would say, around 2017, 18, with more, you know, data and more evidence coming out from Silicon Valley. But we are already sort of trapped in a way. Mm-hmm. So I, and, and that I think was, that's why it's really important to keep remembering that we are not responsible. Parents are not responsible for this. They did not make this choice. This choice was made for them. But the way out is through structural change, through legal change. Fighting with your kids at home can only go so far. And I agree with you. Education is great. And I've done this with my kids as well. And I think it has worked. But I, but kids are different. Parents are different. And it's, it's unfair to put all of this on parents. It is. It, look, and when my 21 and 24-year-old were 16, their brother's age, they also were not hearing it, right? They just wanted to be on their device and their device and their device because it's, I mean, think about it. Anytime you're in a socially awkward situation, what does everybody do? Look at the device. And so they don't have to lean into the discomfort that we all had to learn when you're in a situation and you kind of feel uncomfortable and it's awkward and you go and you make conversation with someone, like nobody has to. To, like so they're missing these important social lessons that you only really learn when you're in that but if you always have a device to look at and you can look busy you're so preoccupied you don't have to go and make you know be vulnerable and make conversation with a new person because you can just stare at your device right they did that my kids i mean they for sure i mean i can't tell you how many times my kids would be like will you just make the haircut appointment for me and i'm like no pick up the phone and make the haircut appointment they're like Oh, you're so much better at it. <laughs> I'm like, hello, can I get an, can I, can I make an appointment with Roe? These are the days I'm available. How difficult is that? They're like, it's just a lot of steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I find it amazing that it's, it tends to be either we do FaceTime or we text, but phone call is not really an option. Right. Why is, fa- I, although I like, I mean, FaceTime to me kind of feels, I don't know. I like FaceTime because of the 3D element, but do you think a phone call 
is more is, like we're, we're tapping into something with a phone call that we don't tap into with FaceTime? I am really not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I find it fascinating that the, the, some, the, something's awkward mm. for them. Uh, but that's something, you know, and that's something I grapple with a lot in my writing. You know, what is it just, you know, I'm coming from a different generation and I'm criticizing what's going on in the new generation. And what about this is really wrong and has to be fixed? I mean, I think the wiring our kids for those cocaine level dopamine hits from that. It's like, you know, that's what I, I've noticed with, um, I'm not a TikTok lover, but everyone else in my family seems to be. And it seems like that the, you know, just the speed of watching video, 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 there is something even more addictive that has happened. And I don't know, I don't know the science behind it, but I know that it's just, it's absolutely crazy to me because it's like their attention spans are even worse. I didn't think it could get worse. And then TikTok came around and these reels and just scrolling through the reels, it's amazing how, you know, it's doing something to them that I'm like, this can't be good. I know y'all love it. And I know that they send me some hilarious videos and they're like, but don't you love the the videos with the Frenchies? And I'm like, I love them. I love, or babies and dogs. Yes, I love them, but I know this can't be good. Right. And this is, again, the no stopping point. If you think about that, that's, that's one of the biggest mechanism. It's, it's based on a, again, on a very, you know, foundational psychological experience where people were giving soup to eat and mm. some people were giving soup bowls, which they could see the bottom, you know, a regular soup bowl. And some people were given uh, soup bowls, which had no bottom that they could see. So the people who could not see the bottom, basically a 73% more of the soup. And not only that, I had no idea they did. So that's exactly what's happening. If you're not getting stopping cues everywhere, mm. then you just keep going and going. Mm. That's so interesting. That's so it's almost like, and we have this phenomenon of kids that are just walking around so dysregulated they don't even know how to balance their nervous system but it's like they're not there's no impulse control because there's never a stopping point so they have they don't have to say this is the last one they just keep going and going and going and going yeah and and i think that goes to the issue of you know the the data and the law and how they connect because we always see this when you have big industry, powerful industry, basically producing a harmful product. Right. And they do not want to be regulated. They want to continue to make revenues. So even if there's scientific evidence, they always say this is junk science and they produce their own evidence. And the wars go on, even with cigarettes. 1950s, the same evidence, the first evidence came out. 1964 was the uh, Surgeon General pronouncement, this is a health hazard, so many years only the 1990s, there were laws that really, you know, uh, prevented people from smoking in public places. So it takes time. The, the problem is, you know, to make law and policy, you need a solid scientific basis. Mm. And you need to have our medical organization or um, governmental organizations pronouncing that there is a problem. And we're seeing the beginnings of this. We saw like the American Psychiatry Organization, 
and uh, American Pediatric Association, they basically, they came out with guidelines for small kids, but again, not for everybody for screen time. And the World Health Organization declared that the internet gaming uh, is a disorder. But this is just the gaming issue, and uh, it's not reflected yet in the DSM in this way. So, so basically, th- this fight is still ongoing, and it's really, really important to get to a point where you know governmental organi- associations sit with experts and come out with you know decisions that this is harmful. And the sooner this happens, the better. So, okay, so tell me when your book comes out and I go to read your book or if I go to recommend your book to someone else, tell me how I'm going to describe it and what it's going to help them with. So you're talking about parents specifically or in general? Yeah, with parents specifically. So I think there's basically three things, main things I hope to do this book for parents. It's not just for parents, but I think parents are the forefront of this war. So the first thing is I want them to understand how powerless they feel and that they should, and they're sort of, um, they keep blaming themselves because they're placed in this position. I think they should stop blaming themselves, but at the same time, it does not mean they should not do anything because we cannot just leave the, with all this data coming out. There's lots of data in the book. We cannot just leave the kids in front of the screens and just turn our backs to this. And I think I want what I do in the book is I've documented the movement. There's already legal movement taking place mm. in many places. Mm-hmm. Class action lawsuits by parents against game makers, against social networks. Even this week, uh, the public school. Uh, Seattle public schools uh, sued uh, social networks for addicting kids. Mm. So there's a lot going on. There's been lots of bills proposed uh, to protect children. They're state and federal. Uh, The Federal Trade Commission, I want them to know there's a lot going on, but there's a lot to be done. And there are things that they can do as parents, whether, you know, as I said, in schools and their districts and also as political activists, because I think the easiest place to win this war would be through kids, because kids are not considered to be responsible for their choices. It's much more okay to tell them what to do and to protect them. And you well, see, and their their brains aren't being aren't finished being developed until they're late, they're mid to late twenties. So it's I, sort of our obligation to protect their developing brains. I mean, exactly. You're not going to hand a 10-year-old a pack of cigarettes, you know? I yeah. mean, really. It's 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 kind of and I think this is the thing cuz sometimes I can stall out when I think, "Ugh, this is such a big battle and there's so many, you know, what can one person do?" But I think we have to remember Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, um, Mothers Led the Effort to Ban Lead Paint. I don't know if mothers had something to do with taking asbestos out of schools, but moms have done a whole lot. I mean, you trigger that mama bear instinct when it comes to their baby's health, and we can, you know, we can band together and create some change. I think it's really important, and I think, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, child abuse, neglect in the, you know, an individual sense, but we have to think about this is like 
a whole generation. It's a bit like the climate change, if you want in parallel. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids saying you cannot just leave us to this climate. Kids are not saying you cannot just leave us to our screens because they're too hooked, but the parents need to do that for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that, um, so it sounds to me like your book, you know, you as a legal professional, as a law professor, you're going to really help us to understand what's being done, what still needs to be done, and how we can get involved and make change so that at least we don't just sit by complaining, ugh, this is crazy. My kids are addicted to their screens. There's nothing I can do. If I take it away, then they're, they're going to be ostracized. You know, at least yeah. we can start to like educate ourselves and know that there are things that we can do so we don't have to feel powerless. Exactly. Way out of this dilemma, which you just very aptly described. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's, it, because that's the thing. It's like when I, I mean, I definitely had a lot of boundaries with my kids and we still struggled with it. So I don't want to say like I had it all figured out because I didn't. I mean, I would say even with my son now, who's a junior in high school, probably every three months we have to revisit. And I'm like, you know, okay, plug your stuff in at this time. It sleeps here. But you know what? He knows that it. I just know when it's starting to go off the rails and he's just like going down that dark hole. And so I reel him back in, but it's a constant thing. And so I, you know, I did have a lot of rules or not a lot of rules compared to my kids' friends. I had more Mm -hmm. rules than a lot of those friends. And still, my kids still struggled with it. And the other thing is, you know, I teach parenting programs. I, I, I empower specifically women, how to have boundaries and how to show up in leadership and, and to do all those things. So I kind of have a pretty decent handle on having boundaries in that way in my own life. Okay. So I want to just say that. And the thing is, is that parents say all the time, well, I don't want to, I mean, I want to have all these rules, but then when everyone else is finding out about the party and my kid is the only one or other kids aren't texting or because my kid doesn't have Snapchat, they don't text anymore. And so if I don't let my kid have Snapchat, then he's not going to get included. And then he's going to, we're going to be dealing with social isolation. And so which one is worse, tech addiction or social isolation? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's such a dilemma. Right. Parents are in a horrible situation. Yeah, that's absolutely it. I mean, and it's I, not an accident. I mean, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And, um, and I guess it's just like, I I think I want from people, people listening to this episode, I guess I want a fire to be lit under all of us that we are not powerless and it's also not our fault and we're not going to be blamed any longer. But we're, whether you decide to take action in, you, you read Gaia's book. And then you decide you're going to take action on the local level or even just in your own home, your own community, your school. You're just going to talk to, not just, you're going to go and talk to your child's principal. You're going to, you know, ask them and hold them accountable for some of these rules. Like, can you imagine if all of us started to go and see where we could affect change, even in these tiny ways, it would add up. 
I think it would be huge. I think operating for school, moving the age of social networking use and games a few years up could make a big difference until laws are in place. I mean, yeah, I, I, I know that something's got to change. And I'm glad that people like you and Johan Hari are bringing this to the, to the, to all of our attention and, um, and having a platform talking about this so that, I mean, I think, you know, more as a law professor, but isn't this how change begins is it, this is like, you know, the public has to be educated on exactly what the issues are. Right. And I think, I mean, the good thing I want to say is it's things have changed because I started my outreach program in 2017. Parents were not aware of the problem. Mm. Now parents are completely aware that it's everybody's problem. It's not just their child. They know this is happening. So that, that's an important first step. The, the only thing is that there's, there's much more that needs to be done in order to change things. But this is, this is a grassroots movement. And I think people fail to see all the parts of it together. Mm-hmm. In the book, I try to show people there's so many things already happening at the same time. And it's not just this one big bill, federal bill, which failed, which is going to change everything. You have to look at the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And that's how things change with cigarettes. And I talk about that and with food and even with privacy, we're still in that. But but it took years and it took many, many people acting together in different roles to change things. You know, I know some I know a mom who was thinking about moving from the San Francisco Bay Area up to not in New York City, but somewhere in the, you know, in one of the smaller towns in New York. Mm-hmm. And she actually decided not to move because she went to visit family up in that mm-hmm. tiny town. And she said, all the kids were all on their phones all the time. And mm-hmm. she said, and in her little pocket in the Bay Area, she's this beautiful little bubble community and they're all doing the wait until eighth for phones. They're not, you know, and so she's like, I don't think I can, even though it's been crazy where I'm living and the cost of living and all the different things, she's like, I think I have to do this because our little bubble is keeping my child's brain safer than I think that then she would be if we moved to that tiny town that seems so much safer. Than the yeah, Bay I completely area. understand here. No, and there's also something about physical spaces. I think that kids who don't, you know, younger kids who go home, the only way to communicate is through phone. I live, I live in New York City, so my kids walk, so they they can do things together after school. They they don't. There's more of a public space to interact in mm-hmm. versus if you go home and you cannot drive yourself somewhere else. You're sitting in your bedroom, and the data shows this. That I think. Kids get-togethers have fallen by half since the 1980s mm. and parties by a third. So it's basically kids are not meeting in person. Right, right. Well, I can't wait to read your book. You're, I mean, you even just this conversation, I feel like, okay, enough talking about it. We all need to get involved. We all need to be part of a conversation. And if anything, just increase public awareness about this very problematic issue because technology is here and there's 
I mean, look, I use technology. I mean, how are we able to record this podcast? There are some beautiful parts of technology, but we have to have some constraints around it or it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to be good for our kids. That's for sure. No, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to um, read your book and we will be putting a link. Can people pre-order your book or? Yes, they can. Yes. Okay. So you'll give me the pre-order link and I'm going to include it in the show notes and, uh, and so that people can pre-order your book. And I think this is going to be really important. So thank you for doing this work. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Gaia. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs. And if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you. Um, And as always, we're on all the social channels under Mastermind Parenting. On Instagram, it's mastermind underscore parenting. Um, And, you know, periodically I do pop up on different Instagram lives, Facebook lives, where I give you teaching and coaching. And I love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better because when they feel better, they do better. And um, I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.